Well, good morning. It's good to see you again. If you're just uh, joining us, we're just wrapping up an overview uh, we've been going through on the Sermon on the Mount in the book of Matthew, chapters 5 through 7. Jesus uh, gives a sermon that's known as a Sermon on the Mount, and it's really this like manifesto of what it means to live in the kingdom of God. What does it mean to follow Jesus in this world? And so we've been walking through it and trying to just discover at this point, what are some of the main themes? What are the highlights of, of the different sections? And we've been looking at um, lots of things that, that, that Sermon on the Mount is really about what it would look like for us to live like Jesus lived. And so Jesus not only spoke and taught, he lived like this. This is how he lived. And as he, as he preaches this and you watch the rest of his, his life before he was crucified, how he lived out everything that he was teaching his disciples to do. And so for them, this was very impactful. And a lot of uh, the New Testament after that, the letters written to the churches, those who were followers of Jesus, it's, it's almost like taking bits of the Sermon on the Mount and, and explaining them in greater ways. And so as you, as you learn the Sermon on the Mount, and I think you should really, really understand it, you'll see these themes popping up all throughout the rest of the New Testament over and over again. And so today I, I want, and we're going to wrap this up, and then next week we're going to go into uh, a series that we're going to do for December um, as we walk through Advent. And so today I thought it would be, it's important that we understand again another, another theme. Last week uh, we saw that one of the repetitive um, themes was Jesus was teaching his followers that if they were going to follow him, that their relationship with God is different. The relationship with God was one of a father-child relationship. And so we talked about our identity um, as a child of God and what does it mean to call God Father. And so one of the things that, um, again, you'll notice it's, the, the title is different. We're called to be different if we follow Jesus, and everything's going to look a little bit different. And so this, this theme that we're talking about today is that really there's a theme of contrast you'll see throughout everything Jesus is saying. He's often saying, you've heard it said, but. You've heard it said, but. You've heard it said, but. And then he goes on, and even in chapter 6, this word but <laughs> happens consistently over and over and over and over and over again. And what he's trying to do is help us understand that a life living in the kingdom of God here, as we try to live out the way God would have us live, as Jesus lived, in the culture we're in today, it's going to be different. There's going to be a dramatic contrast in the way we approach everything. And so you see that throughout the Sermon on the Mount. He touches on all different kinds of topics. And I'm wrestling right now. I think it, it potentially, I'll, I'm praying about it, in January is to come back to the Sermon on the Mount and actually look at some of the topics that Jesus felt were worth highlighting. And one of them was the area of covenant relationships in marriage. He talks a lot, again, about anxiety. He talks a lot about worry. He talks a lot about money. Um, he talks a lot about enemies and forgiveness and those things because those are the things that impact our day-to-day -day life. And so we've been kind of flying over looking at the themes. And so he goes through and he says, you know, you've, you've heard it say, don't murder. But in a kingdom, if we live like Jesus, it's controlling our anger. Do not lust, but do not get divorced. But let your words mean something. Your yes be yes, your no be no. But don't get even with those who take advantage of you. But... Instead of attacking your enemy, love your enemy. But instead of giving like other people in the world, give in secret. Pray in secret. Forgive others when they hurt you. 
But, but, but. The rest of the world will store up their treasures here on earth, but for my followers, we're going to build up a treasure in heaven. Other people are going to chase after all kinds of things in this world, but my followers are going to seek first the kingdom of God. And so those couple of those highlighted ones that are going to stand out today, we need to look at. What does it mean for us to store up treasures in the kingdom of heaven while we're living in this world, trying to live out the kingdom of heaven in our world today? What does it look like? Most importantly, I'd say the verse that summarizes this whole contrast is for that followers of Jesus will put the kingdom first. And doing so will make us look very, very different. Following Jesus, interacting with Jesus, encountering Jesus, always, always dramatically interrupts the trajectory of people's lives. And if you look at the gospel stories as Jesus interjected with people, when he meets with them and says, you know, tonight I'm going to be at your house, Zacchaeus, or Matthew, the tax collector, or as he engages with Um, the woman caught in adultery, or when he engages with the woman at the well, or when he engages, whenever he engages with the, the paralytic or anyone that he talks to, you'll notice that the impact of encountering Jesus changes everything about the way they live their life. They cannot go back to living the same again. And so I think today the challenge is If we have encountered Jesus, how does it dramatically impact the way that we live our lives today? And if it's such a dramatic change and impact, then shouldn't other people simply look at our life and notice that we belong to the kingdom of God? So the questions that really disturbed me in my life was I started thinking about my day-to-day experiences, and I thought, you know, when is the last time I was about on my way? So you see a lot of what Jesus was doing, someone was on their way. They were just doing life, and they encountered Jesus. When was the last time I was on my way, and I encountered Jesus' truth, or his confrontation, and it changed, something I wanted to buy, and then I encountered Jesus, and I decided not to. Sometime when I was on my way to appointment, And I encountered Jesus in that moment, and I decided not to go through with that. When I'm in in a relationship, or a new relationship, or changing relationships, how does my interaction with Jesus change the trajectory of my day? When is the last time you've been about doing something, and you had an experience with Jesus, and it completely changed the rest of your trajectory? Those are the questions. I've been... um, watching lots, of course, about what's going on in Israel and the war and those things. And one of the things that I've been stumbling upon is the amount of transformations or encounters that people in that side of the world have been having with Jesus recently. Some of the stories are older, but there's many, many stories starting to come out even in the last few months. And the testimonies of people who totally were going one way of living and have a literal encounter with Jesus and completely changes the trajectory of their whole lives. And so I have one little video clip I want to show you today of an interview that I came across this week of a Hezbollah 
fighter who had been trained ever since he was a little kid to basically evangelize the world, um, to go off and either turn people to Christians or fight and kill people. And his whole trajectory got changed. And so we'll just go to that video clip and then I'll come back. An Iranian ex-Hezbollah shows up in Israel. Everyone wants to know why I'm here. You were born in Iran. Correct. You were a Hezbollah fighter for three years. Correct. I was on my way to the United States to convert Christians into Islam. And um, I had 30 illegal passports at that time. I was arrested, uh, put in jail in Malaysia. I was a dedicated Muslim. Not only prayed the prayers, but I read the Quran once every 10 days, cover to cover. So I was very dedicated. In my time in jail, and one day as I'm praying, a man appears in front of me, normal size, but his being shines like light. And this light was not a normal light. This light carried identity in it. You knew that he is holy and he is just. And instantaneous, I knew I am not. Even though I had prayed so many prayers, even though I had fasted so much and I had read the Quran and I had volunteered to walk on landmines or I had participated in hanging people trying to please Allah. I knew, even though I have kept all the rules and regulation of Islam, I knew I'm not just and I'm not holy. And I knew the only just thing for him to do is to kill me. But I didn't want to die. So I ran to the corner of the room, literally held my head in my arms and just cried out shouting, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I didn't think he will forgive me because he is just. Till I felt a touch on my left shoulder. And he said, I forgive you. And I felt a weight just lifted off me. And I... I I knew I'm forgiven, but I don't know how. And I was confused. I was like, okay, I don't understand. Only God can forgive. You just forgave me. You are God. But you are a different God than the one I have studied about. This is not Allah. So who are you that forgives me and I feel forgiven today? And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I thought, that's... Very powerful, it means a lot, because as a Muslim you pray, show me the straight path, kind of thing. And so the way is a direction, truth is something you measure, life is a source, but he claims to be all those three. I never thought the way is a person, the truth is a person, and life is a person, and all of them is the same person. So I said, I don't understand. What is your name? And he said, Jesus Christ. And someone grabbed all my bones out of my body. I just fell like a piece of meat to the ground, and I just began to weep. What changed after that? It's like, you're not being colorblind. And then suddenly you see colors again. 
and you realize the world is so much more beautiful than you ever thought. Lots of amazing stories. Just such a radical transformation. He actually today, just when before the war was breaking out, he started his own ministry about building bridges of peace, of course, between uh, Muslims and the Jewish people. Changed completely. Everyone that he saw and who he saw. And, and he goes on in the interview to talk about how, how much hatred was a part of his life. And I cut it off because there's actually graphic scenes of the things that they believed that they thought that if they murdered people and killed people in brutal ways, it would please God, but it didn't please God, and, and how it just changed everything about him. And many, many other, other interviews I started watching, and, and I encourage you to watch some of them. It's quite, quite fascinating. Uh, another, another guy, I'll just tell you a quick one. He, ever since he was little, he said he, he grew up, of course, um, uh, a Muslim in the area. I, I, don't, I don't know if it was Gaza or West Bank, but it was one of those areas, and he he said every night his mom would pray for him as a little child that either he would grow up to be a killer of Jews or he would die by trying to kill Jews. So either he would be a fighter, a renowned, become famous fighter, or he'd become famous for dying. And so his whole life as he grew up, he was waiting for the day and the opportunities to fulfill what his mom had prayed for him about. And he was actually um, supposed to go off and do a suicide bomb run. And he was so, you watch him and it's so hard to understand. He was so excited. And he said, I was everything I've been waiting for and looking forward to. And he said, the last minute, um, it got called off. I was told, it's not going to happen. You can't go. And he said, it was that that made him doubt God. Because he believed so much in pleasing God that he felt God rejected him and wouldn't choose him to be in his service. And it just so dramatically shows how different when you're a follower of Jesus Christ than anyone else. And as he came to Christ, he gave up on that. And he talks about having dreams, same very similar stories. Many, many of the people in that world talk about seeing Jesus as a very bright, very warm light. Um, and feeling, feeling a sense of condemnation that they're guilty but finding grace. And he talks about how he's, he encountered Jesus three times. The first two times he refused to believe. And he just uh, basically told Jesus he'd have to come again if he was really who he said he was. And he did. And it changed, changed everything. And he's about the same thing. And he's now started off trying to build relationships with other people and build peace. The idea of encountering Jesus changes everything when you live for the kingdom of God. You cannot continue doing what you used to do. Life changes. Everything about your life changes. And I have to ask myself, and you need to ask yourself, is this true in your life? And so I want to read to you. I read some of this in chapter 6. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 6. Some of it I read last week. I'm going to repeat, and I want to back up what I missed last week in chapter 6. I said I would read today. So chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is will be also. To me, a massive key verse, it's one worth noting as a theme verse of the kingdom of heaven. The eye is a lamp for your whole body. 
If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And as I watch these interviews, you start seeing how this is a reality for people living in a kingdom contrary to the kingdom of light. And how they see a light and it changes everything versus the darkness within. He goes on, no one can serve two masters. You will either hate one and love the other or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not soar or sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying... Add a single hour to your life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the fields grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all the splendor was, was not dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. There's a contrast then there again that stands out for me. He's like, those that don't know me, those that don't know my Father, these are the things they run after. Your heavenly father knows you need them, but don't run after them. But, so but is the contrast word. So all of this way of living is because they're people who don't know my father. So pagans, people who do not believe in our heavenly father, they are consumed by these things he just described. But those that know me, those that know the father knows their needs they seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things, these, these things that you need, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So this is kind of a, a challenging passage of scripture, to be honest for me. It's a challenging passage of scripture because it's dealing with very practical things. Um, things that we experience all the time. And so I want to look at what does a kingdom first life look like? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for you if we were to say, I live kingdom first? Well, I think it means as we look at this passage, but then all throughout the other teachings in scripture, that a kingdom focused life means that we live with a sense of awareness of eternity, that there's more to this world there's more to life in our existence than what we can experience right now. And this, back then, this is earth-shattering. This is, this is new information. The Jews often debated a lot about this, whether or not there was anything else. Because the promises in the Old Covenant were, again, very much that in this life, if you were obedient to God, he would provide and meet all your needs. 
And Jesus is now talking about living in the kingdom to come, but living in it today, in that there's ramifications for the life to come based on how we live today, that you actually could invest in eternity today. What you do today will make a difference for eternity. And this was a, a new thing. And so in Colossians, Paul tells the church, since then you've been raised with Christ, so you've, you've accepted his death on your behalf, and because you've been raised to new life, you've been given a new life, set your hearts on things above. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And you'll see how repetitive again throughout the rest of the New Testament, they're going back to the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus taught us. This is what Jesus taught us. As you're living life, fix your eyes somewhere. Don't fix it here. Fix it in the heavenly realms. Set your minds there, not on earthly things. Second Corinthians, Paul says, so we fix our eyes then, not on just what we can see, not on what was seen, but on what is unseen. Since what we see is temporary. And that's what Jesus said, remember? He said, these things, they come and they go, and yet God looks after them. They, the flowers are here today, and then they're gone tomorrow. So what we can see is temporary, so if we're in Christ and we're a follower of his and we're living out the kingdom, we live with this awareness that what we see around us and experience is temporary. But what is unseen is actually eternal. The kingdom first life also means that we live now, we live today, with an adjusted agenda in a different value system. All these things that Jesus was talking about, all these but for you, but for you, that's not the way we're going to live, we're going to live this. So it doesn't mean that we only have an awareness of what is to come, but it's actually an awareness that there's a day coming, there's a kingdom of heaven coming, when we'll be held accountable and life will be different for those who trust in Jesus. But also, it's not just what is coming, but it's also today, today, how we live matters. And we adjust our day-to-day -day experience, our life, our relationships, what we value, what we prioritize, what we put first today. It actually matters how we live every day. So he said there, which we read, in Matthew 6, 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and then all these other things will basically take care of themselves. So you don't worry about tomorrow, worry, tomorrow worries about itself. So it's this whole idea of contrast, but first seek. Here's the thing, I think we have been designed, just like I talked about last week, we've been designed to have our identity and approval from Father. We have a, a Father um, need in our lives. We've been designed to have a Father who cares for us, loves us, appreciates us, applauds us, encourages us. That's a need that we have. And our Heavenly Father is the only one that can meet that need in a perfect way. But we also have this other need. This need is to seek, create, pursue, achieve, collect. 
We have a need. It's a design that we have. It's part of our need to acquire things, to seek things and pursue. So Jesus talked all the time about this. He used lots of illustrations around this idea of the kingdom of God and seeking, finding, pursuing, looking, searching. Because it's part of what we're going to do. And you actually hear people talk about that in their language, whether or not they're a follower of Jesus Christ or not. They'll often say, I'm just looking for something. I'm searching. That's part of our nature is to pursue meaning beyond what we can see. The whole world will talk like that. I think there's something more. There's something more. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I'm after something. I need to feel something. I need something. And this need, this desire will drive us to do all kinds of things. And outside of the kingdom of God, this need will desire, will push us towards wanting fame maybe. For some of us, it's pleasure. For some, it's stuff and acquiring things. This is kind of a difficult topic when we just go through this Black Friday and Cyber Monday coming tomorrow. All these holidays that MMAs are talked about more than, almost, than, than actually remembrance or Thanksgiving. Now it's all about sales. And actually, yeah, I, was, I, I ended up in the mall. I don't know how it happened. I blame a family member of mine that's not here today. I, on, on that Friday, I mean, this is just nuts. I, it was nuts. And I just sit there kind of mesmerized by it, like... It was just like a bunch of people, just you could tell they're seeking and looking and trying to find, and I'm thinking about this topic, and I'm just so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable. It's such a weird environment. Some of us are pursuing other things that are even good things, like health or self-esteem or family or security. We will seek, though. We will hope that whatever we can get or achieve or find will make it worthwhile will give us meaning and purpose in this life. And some of those things are good things, and some of them are not so good things. And Jesus says, look, if you're going to be in my kingdom, though, and you're going to follow me, you just need to seek me first. And those things that you literally need, those things that are good things, will be, you'll be given those. They'll be added into your life. That's okay. But this is about priorities. This is about your agenda. This is about your values. I think it's hard, and you maybe see these verses, and you see this word that pops up a lot, which is don't. You know, do not worry, you think. That's the hard one in this passage for a lot of people. Do not, you know. Do not have anxiety. Don't do those things. And I've learned something in my life is you can't just stop doing something. It's really hard to just stop doing something. You have to replace it. And so Jesus is saying, I'm not just asking you to stop doing these things. It's not like you just stop worrying about what you look like. What is he saying? Stop worrying about your food and your clothes and seeking all this stuff. Stop that. But he's saying, I'm giving you something to replace it with. Start doing something. Start seeking the kingdom of God. Put it in first. Start pursuing me. Stop, start pursuing the things I'm about. Replace it. Don't just try to resist it. I don't know if you ever tried to resist 
bad food, for example. If you don't replace it with something else, the desire just increases all the more. Stop. But change trajectory. It's not bad to seek, but seek his kingdom. Thankfully, Paul takes what Jesus is saying here, and he actually talks about it several times again in some of his letters. One of them in Philippians, and I want you to read in Philippians 4 on the, on the screen. He says, don't worry about anything instead. I love that. I'm starting to see that now, this contrast word. Because don't worry about anything is really, really hard. Then what do we do? Well, instead, pray about it. Worry is trying to think about something you can't control. That's where anxiety and worry comes from. You cannot control it. And the more you think about it, the more you meditate on it, the more you contemplate it, and you can't fix it, you will start to feel it on the inside, the worry and the anxiety that builds up. So it's not just don't do that, because probably the things you're worried about are legitimate things. Family, health, where are, is your next meal going to come from? Some of those things are legit things. So don't consume about the worry or anxiety, but pray about it. Pray about it. He says, tell God what you need and thank him for what he has done. Those two need to go together. In other words, sometimes we just do the one, right? Like, tell him what you need, but he's like, thank him already for what he has done. And that changes what? Your perspective or your focus. And then he says, if you do this, there's a promise. If you tell him what you need instead of worrying about the issue you have, you thank him for what he's done for you in the past or currently, if you do this, you will experience God's peace. The peace that takes away what? Your worry and anxiety, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So as you live in the kingdom of God, don't do what the pagans do and worry about all these things in their life that they can't control. If you're going to live in the if it comes and goes, I'll grab the mic. If you're going to live in the kingdom of God, we don't live in that world. We live in the world of a relationship with our heavenly Father. Who cares, knows, sees, and can do something. And so we surrender that. We surrender that. So in 1 Peter, Peter says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Take it. Take your anxiety, take your worries, and cast it on him in prayer. We pray. We bring it to him. We lay it at his feet. We talked about that last week, that we have a Father in heaven who sees us, knows us, and cares. And so laying it down at his feet is simply a trust. It's stretching us in our faith because we believe that he is good. And we believe he can change our circumstances if he wants to. But we trust him with what he's doing. I think best for me, I've been thinking about this as well for myself, 
And over years, I'm hoping I'm getting better in some of these areas. And it's a good evaluation. And I think that if, if I was to say, how do I know that kingdom life or the kingdom is first in my life? I have to look at things like my words, my time, my money, and my attention. And you'll see that in the Sermon on the Mount. My words, I, I just look at, what do I talk about? What do I get excited to talk about? What do I, have you ever notice, like, there's some people, like, they take every conversation and they end up in the conversation that they love? <laughs> I kind of feel like I do that sometimes. We're talking about whatever it is, and eventually I'll get to where I wanted to talk. I want to talk about this. This is awesome. This is exciting. This is thrilling in my life. And so the question is, what comes out of your mouth? What do you talk about? What do you love to share? What can't you wait to tell others a story about? What is it that lights you up as you talk? You ever heard someone sharing their story and they just light up? Is that about the kingdom? Is that about the things that God cares about? Is that about his values and his priorities, your stories, your words? You will always talk about the things your heart cares about. It's like, it's like grandparents. You, every time you're around a grandparent, I'm not one yet, so I'm still under that radar, but every time you're around grandparents, you know eventually they're going to talk about their grandkids. Like, it's going to happen. You don't have to spend very much time, but they'll bring them up because their heart is there. They're passionate about it. They care. Your time. Wh wh where do you go if you have extra time? Now, I know a lot of you, especially young families, are like, that, that doesn't happen. Tell me about that. You have that extra time where you go to, like, escape. It's like, okay, if I could just carve out a little bit of time. My question is, when you take extra and you get more, or you have an opportunity, you have the chance to do something, what do you look forward to doing? Is that about the things that God cares about? Is it about the kingdom of God, or is it about something else? It's a good challenge for me. I mean, when I get a day off, when I get an evening away, what, what, what do I want to do? What, what do I want to spend my time on? Is that a time in which I'm, I feel closer to the things of God? Or do I actually use that time to escape the things of God? My money. Huge investment. I mean, this is what Jesus said. He says, wherever your treasure is, your heart goes. Your money talks about your heart, what you invest in, what you pour into. You can't help it. I mean, whenever you've done that, I'm sure if you've ever bought a new car, right? I mean, you bought a new car and, or bought a vehicle, maybe it's not new, new to you, and all of a sudden you see them everywhere. Like, it, it just, you see them. Or maybe you got a new outfit Men don't care, maybe ladies. And all of a sudden you see someone else, it's like, I never, there's someone else that has that. How do you all of a sudden see that? Because whenever you invest something, all of a sudden it takes a piece of you, it takes a piece of your heart. And so how you're putting, how you're using your money, where are you putting it, will draw you towards it. And that's also then your attention. What do you notice? What stands out? What captures your attention about life? And I think that's what Jesus was saying when he said about the eyes and the light. 
If your eyes are drawn to the light of the kingdom of God, then everything else will follow. Your eyes actually guide your path. So wherever you're looking is where you're going. They teach that about driving, right? I mean, that's why distracted driving doesn't work so well. You go where you look. I was just driving next to someone on the road. I, I'll confess, my wife wasn't with me. She's probably going to watch us. She's at home sick today. She was supposed to be here on the worship team. She's not feeling well. But I did honk. She hates it if I honk. I was trying, it was a half polite honk. I have a different, there's a different kinds. There's really polite ones, like, like as short as you can make it. Like, beep. Like, I'm just, hi. That's different. And then there's beep. Like, hello. You know, it's different. Hello, then hi. And then there's, like, you know, smarten up. And it was the middle one. But this lady, we're down, going down the highway, and I'm, I'm in the slow lane, which is good for me. I'm in the slow lane, and she comes flying up beside me, and all of a sudden, I'm like, she's slowing down, and she's just, like, coming right over. And I'm watching her, and she's in the driver's seat, and she's looking for something. And every time she looks for something, she's veering towards me, veering away from me. And I'm like, beep, beep, beep. Like, I'm right next to you. I'm going to die. Our eyes, our attention, they guide us, they direct us. And so what are you, you know, what are you focused on right now? What grabs your attention? It's, it's, it, it determines the path that you're on. I, I find in all of these things, in all of these things, in your words, your time, maybe not your words as much, maybe that one doesn't fit as well, but for me in my time, my money, my attention, I used to believe that a lie of the enemy. I figured out at least that it's him now. I used to have a phrase that kind of come up in my head, and the phrase always starts with, I deserve this. Right? I deserve this. As if the escape, the escape of being self-centered was, was a reward. Not so in the kingdom of God. I know that's true, but, you know, when you've been busy and, and you think, Oh, I got a little bit of time. I'm going to, I'm going to do what is good. I want it, you know. Or I got a little bit of extra money and I deserve it. Or I got a little bit of this. I deserve it. And sin often always starts with that, I find. My sin always starts with, but you deserve this. And that, I know, is the enemy. Because Jesus said, John 10, 10, I came that might have life and a life to abundance. A joyful life. And so if I stay in alignment, not self-centered, but kingdom-centered, that's the pathway to enjoying life. The enemy is constantly going to say, but you need to escape that path for a minute to really get what you deserve. In the same verse, Jesus says, the enemy comes to kill and destroy. He wants to distract you or take your focus off, and that I deserve thing is the opposite of following Jesus. Following Jesus is about denying self, picking up cross, and following him. The lie of the enemy is, that's how you'll lose out on life. The question is, do you believe Jesus? That if you actually put him first in the kingdom of God, you will find life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then if you live in me and I in you, 
you will find what you're looking for. The seeking, the pursuing, all of those things are actually found in this. The enemy wants everything to take you away. Part of the Lord's Prayer, which we skimmed parts of it, and I want to go back to another part of it. The Lord's Prayer, again, as I said, is kind of like, this is how you should pray, is what Jesus says. And so, this is what you should think about. And we talked about last week, he says, pray to your Heavenly Father. So, when you're praying, understand you have a relationship with God of a father-child. That changes how you pray. It changes how often you pray. It changes what you talk about. Then there's another part of the Lord's Prayer that I think for many years I didn't quite understand. And I think Christians sometimes get wrong, so I want to bring it up. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done as it, as it is in heaven. And I don't know where I got this from, but for me, this was always more of the passive part of the prayer. Like, I'm asking God to just get about it, you know? Like, can you just come down and fix things up? And so he's like, praying that I'll fix your world. Yeah, that would be a fantastic part of prayer. I have come to a realization that it doesn't fit with the rest of the prayer. <laughs> the rest of the prayer is about my engagement in the kingdom. That I'm to forgive people. I'm to do things. I'm asking him not to lead me into temptation. This is about how I'm doing life. And so this part of the prayer is the same thing. This is not a passive approach or passive language. This is an invitation. This part of prayer, Jesus says, is when you're inviting God's kingdom to take over your desire to rule. It's an invitation. It's an invitation and then it's a submission. That I would pray that we would pray that God's kingdom would come into my life. And then I would submit to that so that the way that he does things, the way he would do things, the way he wants it to be done in heaven becomes a reality in my life. This is a personal engagement. This isn't a passive saying, God, why don't you come and fix everything? This is, God, will you show me what your kingdom would look like for me today? And may I submit to it so that what you dream about and wish for and what you get to do in the kingdoms of heaven would actually take place in my life today. That changes things. Are we inviting his kingdom to come in very practical ways right into your time right into your relationships right into your finances right into your anxieties and your worries are you willing to take all these things and lay them down at the king and say this is my life you're invited to teach me and show me what it would look like for your will to be done in this, that I might follow you. I believe that's the life that we're being called for. We're called into to be different. Different than the rest of the world, different even than how we were before. So let's close in a word of prayer. And at the at the end, again, we're going to sing, but I want you to know that I'm fully aware that the world today 
has a lot of fears in it. The average person, I believe, is carrying around a lot of anxiety, a lot of concerns. And I think if we just, you just heard today, just stop it. I don't think you quite caught it. I don't think you can just stop it. I think your Heavenly Father, who knows your worries and knows your anxieties and knows your needs, is saying, no, no, no. Bring it. Cast it. Bring it to me. I'm the only one who can handle it. The only one who can fix it. Whatever you're worrying about today, you can't fix that. You can't change it, or you would have. Don't carry it. Bring it. And so at the end of the service, again, there'll be opportunity just to spend time in prayer. To either stay here and, and do those things. This is what I'm consumed about. This is what's going on in me. And actually bring it to him. And we'll also have a couple people here that are available for prayer for you. Sometimes you just need to. And it says in scripture that we're supposed to actually one another is carry these burdens to Christ together. And sometimes you just need someone else to be there and help you do that. And so we'll have a few people available for you at the end of the service. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you as your children and we recognize that just like a child <laughs> that we've experienced maybe in our lives, they, they get concerned and, and worried about things they can't change, they can't fix, they can't control. We do those same things and yet in our adult mind often we, we really believe that maybe we could. <laughs> Forgive us for trying to be king in your kingdom. Would you teach us how it, how it looks for your kingdom to come into our life today and for your will to be done? We thank you that you are a patient, loving, kind God who, as we saw even on the video, that even murderers and those that fight against everything that you care about come alongside and simply put your hand on us and say, you're forgiven, follow me. So for those of us today, we've been living our own world here. We've been trying to have our own kingdoms. We ask for your forgiveness today. We ask for your loving hand of correction to show us what does it look like for our life to change trajectory today. And when we believe you, that you have come to give us a life and a life to abundance. And would we, we now know the voice of the enemy who tries to tell us to take control again, to get what we think we deserve outside of your kingdom. We want to be a people living in your kingdom, being different so the whole world will see who you are. So I pray you go with us as a congregation, as a people, that we would learn to be kingdom people. Amen.